0: Hey
1: there, welcome in to the other side of Texas, most talked about afternoon radio show in all of West Texas. Plenty to get into today as we broadcast live from the studios where this guy, Buddy Holly, Became famous big news dump Friday. And on top of that, we've got Brandon Darby, managing editor of the uh bar Texas. being with us shortly here on the show. Your thoughts as we roll along, you can text them in 806 745 5800 That's 806 806- 745 5800 I've gotten emails about this. Let me just do a a couple of bits of housekeeping. Uh we don't like to take calls during the show because we want to keep the show moving and keep it popping but but texts and very good texts we will bring up and engage and I want to engage with all of you make this show possible. 806 745 5800 Darby should be in any time. Uh, let's start with news breaking 34 minutes ago as I broadcast here at 5:05 p.m. Central Standard Time. President Trump says he'll name a high court pick on July 9. This via the Associated Press. Uh, President Donald Trump tells reporters aboard Air Force One he plans to announce his choice to succeed. Retiring Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy on July 9, the president says he is considering two women among a group of at least five potential candidates for the nation's high court. Trump says as many as seven candidates may be interviewed. Now, I've already gotten one text, and it's a hashtag draft Willett. Now, Don Willett, we tried to get him when me and my buddy Cliff Wilkes were doing uh, West Texas Drive. We tried to get Don Willett on, and we got, we almost got him on. And then he got put into this nomination process and uh, to go down to the Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, as I recall. And he's a... If you don't know who Don Willett is, he was a—he's a very gregarious, very charismatic leader, and also a judge, obviously. And he was put up—he was been on the Texas Supreme Court since 2005. And there's a lot of undercurrent push for Willett. I don't know the judiciary world well enough to know whether or not he should be put up as opposed to other people but we talked about him with ross ramsey along with the likelihood of greg abbott being put up on the court and uh, you can go back to our audio and listen to uh, ramsey's analysis of whether or not will uh, not just will it but also abbott could be put up on the court trump was asked friday today If he plans to ask potential nominees their views on abortion rights and Roe v. Wade he responded that's not a question I'll be asking okay Trump says he thinks it is quote inappropriate to discuss end quote so may I for just one moment like I would love to sit down and have a discussion about what the President finds to be appropriate and inappropriate, and at what times of the day is it appropriate or inappropriate because we're in this mode right now, and this will help set some some staging for Brandon Darby, where we're in style versus substance, and for a long time, I think a lot of America I'm speaking out of a prairie populous vein right now. But for a long time, the better part of 30 years, from even into the Reagan era, George H.W. Bush to Clinton to George W. Bush, where you saw the style you liked, but you didn't get the substance. A lot of people in the middle lost, and that was a long time coming, and then there were the Obama years, and the reaction to it was Donald Trump and but trump Trump has a knack for tweeting before six o'clock a m central Standard Time, and I just i so we could go through a litany of different tweets, but what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, apparently discussing Roe v Wade and abortion or anti-abortion views is inappropriate he plans to begin interviewing possible candidates monday but may meet with some this weekend in new jersey trump says of the candidates under consideration it's a great group of intellectual talent and with that we introduce into the program our friend brandon darby how you doing, buddy?
2: Hey, brother. Thanks for having me on.
1: You still, you still got the uh, sunglasses on?
2: Yeah, I do.
1: Yeah. Uh, tell me, mm-hmm. uh, we just Trump says on Monday, July nine, he will announce a candidate. He's got five in mind, possibly seven. Two are women. Your initial take on that?
2: Uh, I, my initial take is I'm just, I'm kind of. I mean, I understand why Democrats are are coming up with every reason in the world to oppose him uh you know nominating a justice but uh tough you know that's how it works and you know i heard uh uh, kamala harris from california say you know the the people need to decide the people need to decide and it's like well the people already did decide that's how our system works Mm -hmm. you know and that's one of the things that's kind of uh, i think as we go on the show and we talk about border issues or whatever issues i think one of the things that's kind of in the at the core of all of this is as some people you know they'll bring up the constitution and honoring the constitution unless honoring the constitution is damaging for them in the short term for their short-term political goals and i think that's something we should avoid you know like trump's president uh you know i've listened to several folks say well you know uh we're not supposed to do this in an election year, and that that's obviously you know american citizens u s citizens can tell the difference between a midterm election and and a presidential election right you know what i mean yeah so so um, i you know I, that's just how it goes like if the person who's president. Uh, gets to uh, you know nominate a Supreme Court justice. If the other party doesn't like that person, they do everything they can within the confines of the rules to try to stop it. And if they can't, they can't. And if they can, they can. Right? Mm-hmm. That's how our system works.
1: Uh, so this is let's segue into Texas politics. And uh, John Cornyn went on record. This is with Politico, and said that he. Previously, this piece is from the 28th, so from yesterday. Cornyn says that he expected a confirmation vote likely after Labor Day. So we're a little ways removed, a better part of a month and a half removed from the timeline that the president set out. But I want to ask you about this. He says cornyn also cautioned trump this is what the political article reads john cornyn senior citizen uh, senior citizen senior senator from texas also cautioned trump against selecting any nominee with a publicly stated position on overturning court precedents such as roe v wade quote I think that would be a terrible mistake for the president to nominate somebody who had that sort of agenda. Cornyn told reporters adding that, quote, we don't need judges who have either personal or political or ideological agendas in my view and I think that ought to comfort us all. It's a common mistake, the article goes on to say, for presidents of both parties to avoid picking a nominee excuse me, it's a It's common for presidents of both parties to avoid picking a nominee with a lengthy paper trail for opponents to seize upon, though Trump has previously said he wanted to appoint anti-abortion judges to the high court. People are taking that comment from Cornyn that he thinks is a terrible mistake to essentially appoint somebody with a long paper trail, public, as he said, and making it out like john cornyn is pro-abortion that john cornyn's all for abortion is that just an indication to you brandon darby of the point in time which we stand right now
2: no i you know first off i i think that well i'm gonna first off just because politico says john cornyn said it doesn't mean I think he said it. I think it's likely he said that. So you Um, want
1: to see the transcript?
2: I would probably want to see the transcript and then have Cornyn say, yes, I said that. That's the first thing. That's one of the things I've learned uh, in this business dealing with media. Um, The second part of that is I I think it's actually kind of a stupid thing for Cornyn to say. Like He knows he's going to open himself up to that. uh,
1: it wasn't necessarily yeah. applause, but yeah. go ahead. He,
2: Well, he knows he's going to open himself up to that by saying that. Uh-huh. And at the core of the issue is, you know, people want to act like, oh, well, they're supposed to be above this. and No, like the, the core of the issue are somebody's ideological beliefs. There's half the country that thinks we should honor the, the Constitution in the strictest terms possible. And there's another half of the country that thinks we shouldn't and that we should do what's pragmatic, which sometimes is not a wise thing to do. So and you have me in here, obviously, you know, like I was talking earlier with someone and they were like, you know, you have the heart of a liberal, but the head of a conservative. And I said, well, I'm glad to hear you say that. You know, I like that. And I think that's probably true. Right. Like I I, I am. I do identify as being on the Right. So I'm going to have a different perspective. So naturally, if there's a Republican president, and there's a majority in the Congress that's Republican, and they get an opportunity to shape, you know, and and uh, conservative, uh, a conservative agenda, which is a more constitutional agenda, um, for the next several decades. I'm kind of excited about that as a person.
1: Sure.
3: Um,
2: do I think that he ought to pick someone who's a, a hardcore, uh, you know, uh, you know? protester outside of uh, outside of Planned Parenthood clinics no but at the core of the issue is, is there's half the country really believes that that constitutional rights to life and liberty extend to the to to the human being in the womb so if you believe that way then you want someone who's going to follow the constitution and protect life mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense to me. And, and and if you don't believe that way, you don't want that. I, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. I think part of the issue with Cornyn is what he just saw is he saw a very uh, hard right senator, possibly according to polls, we'll see, but could possibly be as close as four points from the Democrat, right, who's a pretty far left Democrat. And I think and Cornyn, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, and I and I yeah. think Cornyn, and I actually like Cornyn as a person. I, I just think that he he, um, you know, he tries to ride, he tries to ride the middle, as um, much as he, much he, as he, he can.
1: He,
2: to, so do I think that it's fair that Empower Texans calls him a, a pro-abortion? No. Do I think it's fair to say, well, he doesn't sound very strong on pro-life issues? Yeah, I do. Yeah. You know, I think fit, that's a fair statement because you know why? Because he doesn't. That's why. I,
1: uh, so, I did a segment yesterday on this very program where I said that things are tinderbox dry right now, that we could see some stuff unfold this summer. I, mean, I don't think it's off basis to say, with as crazy as things are right now, we could mm-hmm. see 1968 reduplicated. Now, I'm not saying
2: that. Well, the reason there, I there feel that way is.
1: S- that, hold I mean, on, hold on. Let me yeah. qualify what I just said. I don't think that there will be assassinations, Bobby Kennedy, et
2: cetera. Wait, I don't know. Stop, stop, stop. There already have been. There already have been efforts. Like, we just had a Democrat. No one wants to talk about this. After the media pounded on Republicans for months and months, and then a Bernie supporter who was a campaign volunteer showed up at the baseball diamond at the National Stadium and shot a bunch of Republicans and shot Steve Scalise. That happened already. Somebody tried to assassinate Republican lawmakers because they hate Republicans.
1: So it's already hot.
2: It's, it's already that hot. And I'm not, I'm not blaming, like, oh, Democrats are violent, the, the right isn't. No, I think both sides have their crazies. But the problem is there's a couple of issues going on here. The first thing is that what we say in the middle here, you know, what Maxine Waters says, right, what, um, what President Trump says. By the time those waves reach by the time those waves reach our our um hold on man, I'm having a hard time with my thought. My volume keeps changing. Sorry, uh, go ahead. By but, the time those waves of what we're saying and our rhetoric in the middle, by the time it reaches our extremes, like that's the left and the right. It turns into some real big waves, man. It turns into some crazy stuff, right? So Maxine Waters saying you know, like, hey, it's a good thing that these protesters are finding out where these administration officials live. We need to make sure that we're there and that they can't sleep at night. You need to make sure if you see one of these administration officials in a restaurant or a public place, then you need to make sure you get a crowd together and let them know they're not welcome. Now, I want you to think about what she's saying. Now she probably doesn't mean it in the way that it's gonna that it that I, I take it. But by the time that reaches her, like, black clothes, don't shower, anarchist, occupy folks, like, what are they going to do with that? Because mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you that. If I were with my daughter, or how about this? If you were with your daughter, okay, and you were in a restaurant or in any public place, and a bunch of unknown people to you started whipping up a crowd, and they got around you, and they were within eight inches of your daughter saying that you were a Nazi and that you didn't deserve like... How would you feel? You would... I would react physically.
1: Yeah. So, you know? But no, but
2: no. So my point is, is that we are in a situation where the rhetoric... And uh, it's so extreme. But even today, like, I got into a, a conflict on Twitter with an MSNBC guy. i want
1: to get into that in the next well, second.
2: But, yeah, so... But it relates to this. What I'm trying to say is that the, the, everyone's emotions are, like you say, it's a tinderbox. And and so so people with positions of power using those words... Um, it gets becomes concerning, and there's people on the right and the left doing it right so, now.
1: But here's my deal with Cornyn: is I'm this outside looking in, but I'm thinking here is the majority whip in the Senate right now who is trying to ease tensions by saying, "Look, we don't need somebody with a long paper trail who's been an activist on this. It's not so much that he's the senior citizen." Uh, Keep on saying senior says senior senator from Texas. As much as it is, I think him speaking from a majority whip in the U.S. Senate trying to get this done before Labor Day. Uh, a super, new Supreme I know he, he,
2: he has access confirmed. to the president. Come on, man! Like you know, he probably has somebody's phone number who so works for the president. It wasn't necessary. For no, he process. did it to grandstand and get a bunch of media. Why else would he have done it? Why else would he do it? I read that
1: and I think I think. uh, Well, here's here's Cornyn trying to
2: show that he's the reasonable one. That's why he pitched stories like he did to Texas Monthly, between the rock and the hard place, or what you know, the guy in the uh, what was it? Um, In him being stuck in the middle, and like you know, I know it's 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 how he brands himself. He wants to brand himself. So what he does is his people push stories, push interviews where he gets to say things that make him sounds like that makes him sound like the reasonable less radical one. I get it.
1: But you don't think he's being reasonable here.
2: Uh, reasonable I I probably wouldn't have said it publicly if I were him. No. You know, if he wants to have that kind of influence, he should run for president. You know what I mean? He's not. Like he should have that should be probably stuff that they start, you know, rather than give the other side a bunch of ammo to attack the Republicans with. He should probably keep that, you know, in, in private chambers and talk to people about it and, and politic like our senators do. Well, Brandon Darby,
1: Jay Leeson, your text, 806-745-5800. As we roll along, my understanding is that Kel Seliger may chime in here in about 30 minutes with us here
2: on Wait, the program. are we talking about the Kel Seliger? The. Oh, my goodness. The one. Johnny State Senator, Kel Seliger. Johnny.
1: Brandon Darby Carrying on, carrying on with us here on the program. So you mentioned you the Twitter sphere is you versus MSNBC. Tell us the context. What's
2: going on? Well, you know, I think in general. I mean, we've talked about this prior, and we'll talk. We we'll talk about it again. But basically, there are a lot of complex border problems happening in our country, and it seems that. I'm gonna talk a little more directly not say it seems there are complex border problems happening in our country that have been happening for many years right and so ninety percent of those border problems and the the hell associated with our border has nothing to do with Trump and is he president yes is it something that we could fix while he's pre- possibly but most of it doesn't have much to do with Trump and so the way that everything is being spun and this is coming from me who's been writing about it every day for 5 years right and now all these all of a sudden these outlets care about it when they didn't care about most of the horrible experiences at the border uh during the Obama years so so for me i'm just watching everything spun into the most politically damaging thing possible for Trump you know and to me i think that's a uh, I think that's a bit of a problem, you know. I think it. I think it keeps us from actually resolving issues and discussing them. And uh, you know, and, and talking and, about where
1: Trump is. Uh, what well, I mean, this right happened
2: yesterday. There was a, sh- a sh- there was a there was a mass shooting at a newspaper, and it was a guy. It turns out it was a guy who used a shotgun.
1: In Annapolis, four people dead. And he was doggy. he
2: had a long standing problem with them because they reported on him and he sued him and it got it made him mad and he's been stalking him. This has been going on since two thousand twelve. Had nothing to do with anything about politics today that we can tell, right? Well so most say most, I'm sorry, many of the of mainstream reporters immediately blamed Trump for it. Told me he had blood on his hands. Then editor at Reuters, you know, a major news service did that. New York Times. People from the New York Times did it. People across the board did it.
1: Immediate reaction mm-hmm. is their
2: immediate reaction was that. The correlation. And so then the when you when you called it out, half of them deleted the tweets and said, "I'm sorry, I got carried away." And that's okay, you know. But I'd like to point out that as the news editor of one of the world's largest news organizations, every time something happens, you blame the right winger, you know. But that's okay, you know. what I mean, you apologized. But then the other half of them just kept their tweets up. And they were like, well, even if it's not true in, in, in... If it's not technically true, it's true in substance. I was like, what does that mean? Like, you're the person that we read who's, who provides news to the United States of America? And you're telling me that even if it's factually incorrect, it's true in spirit? So you're going to leave your tweets up saying Trump's responsible for this specific mass murder? Mm-hmm. That's a problem, man. You know, that's the kind of stuff that... that that's going on, and so today, you know, um, you know, NBC uh, put out a story, and it said, you know, Trump's pilot program to separate families uh, was occurring in 2017, and then the subheadline said the program goes back to 2016 and 2017. And I'm like, well, I don't think Trump was president in 2016, was he? No. Well, I'm pretty sure he, he was. was. Wait, let me do the. Ma- nope, he wasn't. And so there again, and then when you question them on it, NBC, MSNBC writer who works for NBC said, well, we technically don't have enough information to know who started the program um, or how many were, were sent away under Obama, uh, so we don't know. But and, uh, they
1: were blaming DHS.
2: They were blaming Trump. Okay. And, and they were blaming Trump and then admitted that they didn't have enough information to tell whether it was Trump or Obama who started the pilot program. So I called them out and they had to issue, they had to correct their story which they they corrected, cor- they corrected it. it they corrected it without acknowledging they, they were wrong in the first place. They never cha- like you're supposed to, you know. And that's the kind of stuff they do. And so you 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 know there's a reason like there's a reason people call a lot of outlets fake news. And like I'm really sorry that like like there are some good people at CNN, good people at MSNBC, good people all across the board, right? In the mainstream outlets but, you know, I'm hearing them complain about how they're, they're criticized and they're hyper-focused on and picked apart. And I'm kind of like, well, I, I know it doesn't feel good. You know how I know? Because for your, I'm Breitbart, and for years your outlets have treated me that way. And you've treated my writers that way. You've picked us apart. You've, you've mobilized all of your readers to attack us. You called us Nazis 15 times a day during the primary and immediately before the election. You know, like, I know how it feels when you have to have security because you're worried that CNN writing a bunch of bad stories about your outlet might result in some gunman going crazy, right? Like, we talked about people in the middle and the ramifications and the waves of what they say by the time it hits extremes. I know how that feels. So, so it's a little difficult for me because I just want to tell people, like, hey, I'm sorry that you feel stressed out and, like, you're being focused on by so many people calling you fake news, but that's what you guys have been doing to us for a long time. It's just now it's happening to you too.
1: Yeah. And you would think that, and I've said this before, but it seems to me that what would become incumbent on a lot of people is if, if you're going to be in a quote unquote fake news age, you better be right. You better be on point whenever you come out with a take and for them to immediately come out and say, This was a guy reacting to Trump calling news fake news. That's why he walked in with that shotgun. You agree?
2: Wait, that's not why he walked in with that. No,
1: but that was their assumption immediately was that he walked in with a shotgun. Well, and
2: then Hannity and a few others on the right made the assumption. They were like Maxine Waters, you know. And so it was a little less direct what the right did, but you could make the argument they were blaming her, um, and and that's the deal. But again, the rhetoric that happened right before Steve Scalise got shot at the National Stadium, when a gu- when a left-of-center Bernie Bernie gunman like opened fire on a bunch of Republicans playing practicing their game, you know, um, but 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 see now here's the problem though. What they said at the time was, oh, well, wait, we don't know the reasons, we don't know, and then they just never bring it up again. So so if someone on the right says something like, those guys suck, and then somebody does something, some nut job does something, then it was our rhetoric that did it, right? Mm-hmm. But then when someone on the left does it because of their rhetoric, they just don't talk about it, and that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. That's the kind of thing. If I had written that piece today, because see, there was just there was no more evidence to suggest it was Trump's program than to suggest it was Obama's program with the family separations in that article, with the way they had it written, right? And if I had come out and said Obama's program, they would have torn me a new one, and they would have been all over me. But because they made the assumption it was Trump, then I started to get attacked, and and people were saying things like like you have all this energy for these tweets so you're focusing on these unimportant details but what about the children? and it's like well unimportant details you just blame somebody for something you don't know that they did and what happens with this is it becomes such a political issue such a politicized and polemic issue like left versus right and right versus left that we're never going to be able to agree on anything we're never going to be able to have an honest conversation we're never going to be able to so I'll come out and I'll say hey look here are these last three the, the current administration and the two previous administrations. Here are the issues that we're facing, and they're like, Trump doesn't have to separate kids. He has a separate kids' policy and I'm like, well, again, that you saying that is dishonest because he doesn't have a separate kids' policy. He has a prosecute policy. He prosecutes people who cross the border illegally that's his policy that's what our laws say that's why the system's supposed to work.
1: Yeah. A, text, and a text to get into, but let me ask you this question: a headline with some mainstream media outlets in texas earlier this week were that toddlers were being called into court being summoned to court and toddlers like two and three years old and people saying well you know where have we come as a nation where are we as people when toddlers are being called to or being summoned before judges what do you make of that
2: I make of that that just like under Obama and just like under Bush, which for some reason our media outlets in the state of Texas just didn't care, did they? You know, the Texas Tribune had all that time. I'm just going to say they got hundreds of thousands of dollars and they started to hit that border hard. And the El Paso Times wrote an article criticizing them, saying they're supporting false border narratives. So the Texas Tribune decided to spend all that money to focus on problems within the Border Patrol and, and bad cops. That's what they chose to focus on. So let, let's be honest here. So, so the, the, what we're talking about are issues that are very complicated. People are like, no, it's not complicated. you got to say, and it's like, well, hold on. It actually is complicated. See, the problem we have is that human beings are human beings, right? And human beings are afforded certain rights. So do you really think a toddler is receiving a subpoena in their, in their, in their uh, happy meal? And then, like, being made to go stand in front of a judge alone. Do you really think that happens? Like, I, and I don't mean this really, but what kind of an idiot would, would would actually think that? Of course not. They have advocates. They have, but they have to go before a court. And they have to. So is that horrible? It is. So we should stop the system that perpetuates it. Here's the deal, man. And this is, again, where we get in the right and left thing. If you believe we have borders and should have borders... Right, you're on one side and if you believe we should have none you're on another and you say well that's very hyperbolic to say they're pushing open borders well let me ask you something Explain, riddle me this Jay Leeson if they complained and protested when families were kept together who crossed the border illegally adults who brought kids with them as a, as a human shield to, to not get prosecuted so they made it where you can't, you can't hold families together and now they're saying you can't hold families individually, and now they're saying, if you hold anyone who crosses the border, then you support concentration camps. That's what the mainstream Democrats are saying. Mm-hmm. So I ask you this: how do you su- how do you in any way in any way enforce any border laws if no one can get arrested, anyone with a kid can't get arrested how do you have and you can't keep them all together, even if you wanted to? How do you have any border laws? How do you have them? Mm. Uh, this no, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you real quick. There was a woman I, I very respect, her a reporter named Dara Lind from Vox, and she wrote an article today, and it was focused on Trump makes it more difficult for Central Americans to apply for asylum. And then you read the article, and what it says is, though this doesn't apply to Central, uh, the Trump administration is saying that people should come to the ports of entry to apply for asylum and not sneak in the country between the ports of entry. And if they sneak in now, then they they, they can't apply for asylum if they're caught sneaking in between ports of entry. And that's not fair because the majority of Central Americans prefer to sneak in between ports of entry. And I'm, I'm listening to that and I'm going, have people lost their minds? You know? That's crazy. That's insanity. Mm-hmm. That, that, we're, that' just sneak in.: Just sneak in and, and it, if you prefer to, and it's somehow Trump's fault if he's saying, "Hey, what's going on, sneaking in between ports of entry and the fact that everyone who does has to pay the Gulf cartel, you know, and we're perpetuating the very but, system, oh, when well, no, we could go down the line.
1: But oh, oh, but that's a nuance there that people don't understand is that in order to enter, whether it's through like this magical road that a lot of mainstream lays out, or it's sneak in. Whatever access you've paid somebody, and it's the Gulf Cartel. It, well,
2: it, it is if you do it in the RGV, where the vast majority of illegal immigration occurs, and people are coming to the border. So my my point is, it's being presented as a Trump is doing, making it harder for people to receive asylum simply because he's saying we're not going to give you asylum if you sneak in across the river. And try to sneak into our country and get caught and then claim you want asylum. Like, come to the port of entry like you're supposed to and say, I want asylum, I have a credible fear, and then you can enter the system. But the, it's the way everything's being presented, man. It's, it's, it, and I'm asking you, like, if you can't enforce any laws, like, we ha- it's illegal to rob a bank. But if I made a rule and said, well, because we would have to separate the parents if they robbed a bank... Uh, if we arrested them, so we can't arrest anyone, who who robs a bank with a kid in their in their arm, in the car. Right? Mm-hmm. If I started to say that, you would say I was what? I was I was I was supporting or I was turning a blind eye to people robbing banks. I was creating a mechanism, a loophole to get away from sh- have facing responsibility. That's what you would say. So a lot of these border issues, Jay, and a lot of the presentations like you just made, like what. What else are they supposed? So, just to be clear, so if a judge can't determine, if if a kid doesn't go in front of a judge, and a judge can't determine what's the best thing to do, should we just kick them like not? In, when we see little toddlers walking across the border alone, which is very common, should we just like go, oh look, a toddler, and just let them walk off into the desert, or should or should we take them into custody to protect them? What should we do? Hmm. I'm asking you. No. You would take them into custody to protect them. So if you take them into custody to protect them, because you're a federal government, and because there's the freaking Magna Carta all the way back, and we could go down the line, as because there are laws about having people in governmental custody, what do you have to do? You have to go before a judge or a body to make a determination of what's in the best interest of this child, because their parents abandoned them, for the most part.
1: Some good text rolling in, and... Text in your exchange with MSNBC on Twitter, there, Brandon Darby. If you choose to write a story about it, what will your headline be?
2: I'm not going to write a story about it, but I I would probably not focus in on them uh, singularly. I'd probably um I'd probably write in general about bias, like things like you just talked about, like like toddlers being forced to summoned to court whenever they're being you know, brought in front of a magistrate like the law requires to to determine what's in their best interest after their parents abandoned them um, and sent them across, gave them over to a Mexican cartel, paid the Mexican cartel, and then sent their kid over. So a year from now, they can come and go. Oh, wait, that's my kid. You have in custody by law. You have to let me in. Like I, you know what I mean. Like I, so I, I would probably call out. Uh, like I said before, we just brought up this particular topic is that the the way that this thing, this complex border issue is being presented is done to score the maximum political points against the Republican Party as possible. And not only that, a lot of it is that a lot of journalists are taking these mundane uh, aspects of of uh, of immigration law and immigration experience that people have when they come illegally or they come irregularly at least into the United States and and because they have ignored migrants for so long and they have ignored the border for so long mm-hmm. um, and, and because times that they could have told the stories of what's happening on the border, they instead decided to kind of criticize cops and be part of the whole, like, you know, criticize cop movement back in the Obama years, right? Because they, they were so negligent, now they're seeing these mundane things and they're like, oh my God, this is so evil. Mm-hmm. And they're presenting it as though it's something new when it in fact isn't.
1: Uh, go out to the phone lines here. You there? Hello. Oh, I, Hello. Got, I got to push that button.
0: Oh, look who it is. It's Blue oh. Collar Bill. Hey, everybody. Hey, what's going on? I was just uh, trying, to, trying to keep her shiny side up. Every, every time you have Brandon on, I, I just get incensed. Does
1: he make you incensed, or does he... Does he help you
0: become incensed? You know, he 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 shed intelligent and articulate light on issues that have been boiling for decades. And you know, I've seen it. I'm an old man, I've been around a while. Yeah. And he sees it. So, but nobody else really sees it, and the ones that claim to see it want to spin it all up and make it somebody else's fault, and this and that and the other. Oh, my God. And then I turn on the radio. As soon as I chime in, I heard, and they're dragging toddlers into court. And I was like, what? Yeah. Well, other than that, how's
1: it been going this week, Bill?
0: Um, uh, just, just super hot, super busy, and just... just just watching our our friends out here in the in the rural areas uh, struggle with it. Yeah, well,
2: it's cooking out there, Bill. It's cooking. It's and by the way, I appreciate your compliments. Let me tell you.
1: So, Bill, if there's one thing you'd like to take up with Brandon Darby, what would it be?
0: Man, there, there are so 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 many things. One, I, I would just I would I would love to ride shotgun with this guy and be the photojournalist on board.
2: Oh, we would have that fun, would be, man.
0: That would be so cool. How about he jumps in shotgun
1: on the 18-wheeler rig?
2: How about you teach me how to drive the rig? That would be cool.
0: Man, we could could do that.
2: I like it. I don't have
1: any Smokey and the Bandit audio handy, but I think that might be a little bit, it might be what it looks like.
2: Well, Jay, I I don't see you the same way anymore, buddy. You don't? Now that I know you don't have that audio handy. I'm sorry. It says something.
1: I've gotten a little bit. but uh, One thing that stuck out to you, you'd like to talk to Darby about for a couple of minutes there, Blue Collar Bill?
0: uh, Are we really having a lot of, are the majority of people asking for asylum coming in illegally rather than coming through one of the ports?
2: Uh, I can't say the majority. Um, oh, yeah. So yes, I, I do believe the majority of people uh, asking for asylum are, are coming. Um, are coming? Well, you say illegally. That's where it's catchy, right? So, what a lot of people don't realize, and a lot like I always say this about the left and the right. The right a lot of times will get mad at the actual migrant coming here, right? The person coming, and then the left will get mad at the law enforcement who apprehends them, but the lawmakers from the left and the right, neither one of them want to acknowledge the fact that the laws are messed up and they're, they're the ones refusing to change the law. They're the ones who have the power to change it and they don't, you know? Um,
0: so so the laws
2: the laws technically say all you have to do is set foot on U.S. soil and then ask for asylum. So that's what it says. And so if that's the law, then people are going to come in between ports of entry. So then technically... Is it illegal? But the problem is, is the fact that they're coming between ports of entry indicates they were trying to sneak across. And then when they got caught, they said, oh, wait a minute. Don't arrest there is, me. Yeah, was
0: my problem. Yeah, and if you need to sneak across, you know,
2: if you need to
0: sneak across, you know, to get through for whatever reason, then, then there ought to be a reasonable zone say three five miles uh you know north of, yeah, look, of the rio grande uh you need to uh seek uh authorities and turn yourself in if we catch you north of that line then you're a criminal
2: well there, there already there already kind of is that like so once people get in the neighborhoods once people leave the immediate border vicinity uh but you're still have an issue the law is not clear the law is messed up you know the law is not clear the laws we have for asylum were written at a very different time that were you know following on the heels of the holocaust right and and so so if you you know and i say on the heels you know 65 but but it a lot of the motivations behind the way we we wrote our laws had to do with things that happened mistakes we made during the holocaust where you know, the, what was it, the HS St. Louis or the MS St. Louis showed up in, uh, in U.S. waters and it was full of Jewish people and we sent them away. And then there was a, prior to that, there was a ship full of, of uh, thousands of Jewish children who we sent away because we couldn't process them all. We couldn't, yeah. we, we didn't have the resources we said. And then we can now look back and go, most of those people died in the Holocaust. I mean, this is horrible stuff. And so when we wrote our laws, we wrote the laws so that we would never again turn away somebody truly in need. But at the time that we wrote those laws, we didn't realize economically that we would have tens and tens of millions of people south of our border connected to us via land who... who. um were economic migrants, right? Who could come and say, I feel threatened. I feel, you know, my, in my home country, my husband was beating me. And it's like, well, there's a lot of women in the United States who get beat, but, but they, they move somewhere else so you protect them. Or, but I don't know that it necessarily justifies moving thousands of miles away, right? Instead of moving to Mexico City. So, so there's a, you know, I'm very sympathetic to the people who come here. I'm very critical of Republican and Democrat party lawmakers who, who do not change the laws and, and, and make them more clear and efficient. Um, but, I, but I do think that a lot of this focus, especially from Democrats in Congress and some Republicans in Congress on Trump, I think it's a bit... Uh, you know, This is the core of the issue. The core of the issue is, are we a nation of laws or are we not? Do we follow the laws or do we not? Can the president make his own laws? Or is, he, is the executive uh, supposed to enforce the laws that, that Congress makes? And that, that's really at the, the core of this issue, is that for the, for the first time in a number of years, a president is, is enforcing the laws that Congress has, and, uh, and Congress is attacking him for it rather than taking the leadership to change the laws.
0: I, I I agree 100 percent, and I think what you're seeing with Trump is a lot of what what we, we saw our conservative friends railing against Obama about in taking unilateral action. And there's things that's got to be done, and if if your Congress is not going to act, somebody got to do something.
2: Well, I mean, I mean, clearly, clearly, I'm not an Obama fan. Uh, I'm a Breitbart editor, right? But yeah. I'm going <laughs> to tell you something, and I actually tweeted about it, and I said so publicly. Realizing how complicated catch and release is, you know, I had always, honestly, I thought that Obama was just releasing people like that for ideological, you know, political reasons, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and now, in hindsight, I look back on it, and the guy was in a really bad space. I mean, your, your options under current law are either to open the borders and just release everyone who comes with the kid and let him stay, or to separate them. Those are the rules. And that's a horrible spot to be in and if Trump if Trump even in his own party can't can't muster the support to, to prosecute people how could Obama have done that and not been thrown out, you know?
0: So, so Yeah,
2: so you start to realize that, that Obama was in a very, very tricky spot that wasn't as simple as we all thought it was back in the day, and consequently I can now say it's not as simple as, as a lot of the left of center uh, colleagues think it is today.
0: I agree 100%. So how do we, one, stop them from picking the can down the road, and two how do we get our friends in the media or journalists who seem to have divided themselves into two parties and want to spin fake news at each other as fast as they can how do we get them back onto trying to find the truth and defend and protect the constitution therewith
2: well first off i'm not so sure some of the left to center folks really care much about the constitution other than a couple parts of it um, that's how I would feel and they would probably tell me that um, the Constitution's an old document written by racist white men and why do you adore it so much so that that's the kind of stuff they say uh, but let, let's be straight here right there are a lot of journalists on the left and the right who are trying to do a really good job uh, con- contrary to to what many mainstream germ- journalists would say and apparently contrary to how the Texas Tribune feels about me and my work uh, based on recent uh, events um, I actually try really hard. I obviously have a right-of-center perspective, but I try very, very much to be fair in my border coverage and to be non-political. And there are people on the left who do that as well. Um, uh, the The problem is, is that the majority do not do that. The majority of journalists on both sides are acting like defense attorneys for the politicians they like they're acting like they're a defense team or they're a PR firm for them trying to spin everything in one direction while the other ones try to like, counter-spin it uh, it's very frustrating you know, but, yeah, I mean, but, but in, in, in essence most journalists are in fact some de facto arm of political campaigns and, and uh, advocacy groups
0: Huh? And that, is, that is inherently wrong and in that under, undermines the very, the very foundations uh, of what we're all about I I, I grew up watching guys like Walter Cronkite, Harry Reisner, and young Tom Brokaw, and these guys were my heroes because they went out and with nothing more than a pen, a piece of paper, and a camera. And the First Amendment freed countries and kept us free and informed. And and, and, and now through this haze of lies and deceit, it's hard to see you, Brandon. It's hard to see you through the
1: smoke. Hmm. Well, speaking of smoke, listen to this, guys.
0: I just wish there was a, a way that, you know, we could, we, could, we could pin down the truth without having to watch five different news sources and, and try to draw our own conclusions. It's a good word.
1: So, you feeling better now, Darby? I'm feeling better. He is uh, blue-collar Bill. Bill, thank
0: you for your time, buddy. Appreciate. You. Hey, I appreciate. I appreciate you, and and I appreciate you, Brandon. Keep up the good work, and and Lord knows at least at least one guy out here sees the big picture of what you're doing, and and, and and what you're risking
2: to do it. I appreciate it, buddy. I, I I appreciate
0: that. You have my
1: undying respect.
2: Have a good day, buddy.
1: Well, there he is. Thanks, sir. Blue collar Bill chiming in on a Friday and. Uh, you know you've got to get the truck in you've got to get the horn in before you get blue collar bill there it is. we have now online with us brandon darby jay leeson taking you home on this friday kel seliger state center he uh it's the weirdest district in texas it's amarilla and then goes down one county wide down into the basin and uh, he is State Senator Kelselger. How are you, Senator?
3: I'm fine, thank you. How are you?
1: Well, I, I know that you've been State Senator today. What have you been up to?
3: You know, it's just the usual interim stuff. Reading the things that, that people send us, the things that they're interested in, and and getting ready for the um, the session that starts in, in January. It's sort of the summer doldrums, but there's still work to be done.
1: Yeah, and speaking of the session to come, you—a lot of people didn't think you could do it, but you pulled. I think this is the first time you've been on the show since your win. Congratulations, by yeah, the way. This Thank is you.
2: this is Brandon Darby. Congratulations, Senator.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, a lot of people didn't expect you to walk away from that—a three-way primary, Republican primary. But you did, and uh, I think by 51, 52, uh, you walked away from that.
3: It was, I had 50.4%, which is just what I needed to uh, avoid a runoff against two very well-funded uh, opponents. And I don't know if I walked away, I might have limped away, but uh, it was a win without a runoff, and, and I owe an awful lot of people who worked very hard.
2: Now I have a question for you. When you said two very well-funded opponents, is, is it, am I mistaken, or were they both funded by the same person?
3: Uh they were both Empower Texas um candidates.
2: But doesn't Empower Texas have one donor? <laughs> Sorry.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well they they have one principal donor, yeah, but uh they get money from the Wilkes brothers and we don't know where else they get money from because they are a dark money group and they don't have to account for the money that, that they when the money comes in, they have to account for how they spend it.
2: So basically not, basically you I don't want to use that word, but you pissed off a billionaire and he ran two people to unseat you with a, an unscrupulous group of people who uh, don't live in your district but tried to control who, uh, who your, your uh, community could have lead them, and you survived it uh, without... Uh, you survived it, even though you had that kind of money against you. That's impressive. Yeah.
3: Well, thank you. It was, it was a real challenge, and like I say... Uh, an awful lot of people worked very hard, and uh, not least of whom was was my wife, who's a great campaigner, and uh, we were very pleased with the outcome.
2: Uh, so, how long have you been there? How long have you, how, how long has he been? How long have you been in office, sir?
3: I came in on Texas Independence Day of, of two thousand and four.
2: Two thousand and four. So you've been there that long. You've had all that time for your community to decide if they liked you or not. If you're good for them. To make some horrible mistake or something And and a couple of billionaires at best Maybe just one Spent all this money to unseat you Ran two people against you And your community still chose you After knowing you all those years That's kind of impressive in my opinion
3: Well I, I appreciate that it's, it's part of sort of a, a new method now People with a lot of money realize That they don't just have to contribute money To help candidates They can essentially buy seats And, and to be honest
2: I think they've been very successful well, good on you. Good on you. Are we going to talk about this vet school? Are we we are.
1: So, Kel his I know that you've been in... I only have a certain amount of column space whenever I write something. And so I have to decide in 800 words what do I want to present. And so the way I went about it, I don't know if you've read it or not, but in Dallas Morning News, I've put out a piece about just a chronology of facts of what's going on since at least December 2015, and I didn't go into the background, and you're welcome to hear, but you and Bob Duncan have been on this for some time since Independence Day of, what did he say, 2003,
3: 2004? Since 2004, in the the, the thought of a large animal veterinary program, um, I first, first started messing with it, in, I think it was
1: 2007 okay so, and, and, uh, so, look so this is where and you can bring that context to bear but let me frame the question I wrote that piece and was really surprised that I knew that A M would respond but I thought it would be through like a vice chancellor of the lunch line or something like that but it was John Sharp himself who responded my first question to you is how no it's not how why is this vet school in stopping texas tech and its initiative in the panhandle so important and two why would the chancellor himself respond in his own column there in the dallas morning news
3: well john sharp works very hard on all issues that that involve texas stadium and and i understand that and expecting and, and, and he's done a good job as Chancellor. Um, this is the first time in my experience, and I wasn't around for the whole Texas Tech Medical School thing, it's the first time during my tenure that I've seen people in one university oppose, actively oppose um, a new program or something like that at, at another school. I just haven't seen it before. The university of Houston was not thrilled when the University of Texas originally announced whatever it was they were announcing in in Houston. But did they actively oppose it, lobby against it, and things like
2: that? No. So he's like, basically, and you can't say this, but Jay and I can say it, he's like a black walnut tree, you know? (laughs) You know what I mean? And and he tries little plants that try to sprout up around him. They just just can't. they, They put out some toxin that doesn't let anything around them grow. That's how I feel, like, living up here. You know, I had a, I, obviously I don't have the, the resources of some or the, or the acreage. I have like a little over 10 acres and a cow, right? And um, when I first got my cow, I needed my cow, my, my milk cow, my jersey. I needed to find a, a large animal vet. And large animal vet after large animal vet said, sorry, we only see large herds. Sorry. There just wasn't that many of them. I finally found some good ones who, who were willing to see a, the little guy you know, and be helpful. I found one that was really good. I've talked about him on this show before, uh, Caprock Veterinary Clinic, Large Animal Veterinary Clinic. And, and that that guy, Cody, he, he was willing to come to my house and meet me on the weekends to help my cow when my, when my little calf was sick and all these good things. But the problem is, is I started to realize that there, there just weren't enough large animal vets on this, this side of the state. And as I started to look into why, I started to feel kind of irritated you know the more I look into it I, I you know I get irritated, and then I thought I thought, well, surely I'm gonna learn more information and be less irritated, and the more I learn the the more irritated I feel about it really I kind of mm. I feel like it's very unfair um I feel like it's 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 kind of like the walnut, like like in anything that tries to grow up around you. You see Texas Tech try to make some efforts, and then all of a sudden you see the thing going on and can't you know it just it just doesn't seem fair to me uh. What the hell's happening here? Like in layman terms for the average person, what the heck is going on?
3: My discussions with with the A and M people, the veterinary medical people, that did not include John Sharp at the time was that that they felt that veterinary medicine should be the exclusive franchise of Texas A and M. And they have an excellent uh that's cool no question about
2: it well I guess it's so with all the resources they get they don't have to share them yeah,
3: they've got a lot of money
2: alright now Jay I'm going to try to sort this out for the person who doesn't understand because when I try to explain to people they don't get they don't get what I'm saying what's your perspective here on what the heck's happening in, in layman's terms without getting all deep and in the weeds and
1: uh, well look and Kel you you can respond to this or you may not I shouldn't call you Kel uh, state sure. senator kail You should is call senator on the on the <laughs> show but i don't it's hard and look and this is what really perplexed me was i worked really hard and all this stuff's on email record and a can push me like i took some digs from sharp in that piece he took some digs at me that's fine but if they want to say that i I didn't reach out to sharp i did reach out to sharp and i was very emphatic and very persistent to try to get sharp because what i said to them was for senator selliger for brandon darby in the audience was i don't want to draw assumptions i want the the what when and why and how laid out by the chancellor and whenever the chancellor sends you a response like they sent me which is this the chancellor does not wish to comment on this at this time then you you're in a position to draw deductions and my deduction is two things one is aggie pretense becoming an aggie tradition right so some pretentiousness is this a point or is, are we really marking our territory and I'd love to hear Senator Seliger talk about how a got a law school you want to talk about things that are unneeded in Texas right now sharp said well we don't need a vet school well did we really need another law school that's number one number two and you know this is tinfoil hat but i just wonder how much cloning has to play into this and cloning as you can go in if you've got the market the monopoly on uh, large animals and you're able to do all sorts of, like, oh, well, we're going to grow this mammal's heart in this mammal, and vice versa. How does that focus in the health sciences? And if you've got the market cornered on that, then maybe you do put your foot down. So is it pride, or is it initiative, Kel Seliger, in your view? I think it's more
3: territorialism than, than anything else. I read okay. your piece. And I, and I read Chancellor Sharp's op-ed. One of the things he never says in there specifically why they do not want Tech to have this program. Um, when when I first floated the idea and then brought it to uh, Bob Duncan, uh, A&M said they were going to study the situation. And, and and I think they did, but their actions to expand their, their vet school and, and all these other things really took place about the time that Tech announced that they were going to start a vet school what John Sharp did not say in the op-ed specifically is why they don't want Texas Tech to have this when uh, when A&M was uh, buying the Texas Wesleyan Law School nobody at the existing law school pointed out there was a law school that nobody needed producing lawyers that nobody needed even though Texas Wesleyan I think was doing a good job of, of operating a law school um, when A&M decided they were going to put a program in the Rio Grande Valley nobody said a word and uh, it's, it's just odd to see one university or a system oppose uh, a new program at another university hmm. and, I, and I'm not sure I really get it, I think it's territorialism fed by enormous amounts of money
2: what's going to fix that? how's this going to go down? Like what needs to happen here to where you know? I don't mean people don't understand this, but Texas is huge. Like we're almost 800 miles across. I think yeah, if you did it, Beaumont or Orange, Texas to to El Paso, I think it's 800 and something miles. You know, yeah,
1: closer to L.A. than it is Orange or or Beaumont. But but here's my question then. My understanding, and this is the first time I've asked this on air and on record, but my understanding is that you and Duncan, this is from people who know the process, you and Bob Duncan, former state senator out of Lubbock, Robert Duncan, who's now the chancellor of Texas Tech, you tried to broker a deal with AM to try to do a specialty large animal veterinarian practice up in Amarillo, and AM balked on it. Is that true, Senator Seliger? And I don't know. I wasn't
3: involved in negotiations with Chancellor Duncan. But at first, when, when I first thought we ought to have a new medical school, it was Chancellor Duncan's idea that what we really needed was a large animal program that would be part of, of A&M's med school.
1: Was, was Sharp and ever approached with that idea?
3: Oh, you'd have to ask Chancellor Duncan. This was
1: pretty much having to do with the operation okay. of, of the
3: tech system. But originally... Um, Bob Duncan was an opponent of a program. What's interesting here, the, the big winner here is going to be West Texas A&M, and I'm enthusiastic <laughs> about that because they have excellent agricultural programs, and Texas Tech was going to make substantial use of of the resources that already exist in the panhandle. It was going to be a really good cooperative sort of But could they still? You, you Texas Texas say
1: Tech. that in past tense, but could they still?
3: Oh, sure, anything is still possible, but... But I I don't think the A and M system at this point is going to let A and uh, West A really collaborate all that much with Texas Tech. It's it's it, it's a shame because it works. The geography works really well. West A has great large animal programs, and probably the, the the what's going to be the world's leading meat science program uh, in in the new facility that Bob Duncan has has helped helped us do because it was with money. When you say, what's going to change things, Jay? What will we'll change things, given what the city of Amarillo has done in terms of inducements, is if we can get some money into the uh, uh, budget for Texas Tech and they get going, and once they have a school of veterinary medicine, the adverse effect on Texas A&M will be absolutely
1: nothing. Hmm. So...
2: How much more time do we have to get in?
1: Eh, I mean, we've got about three, four more minutes. Go ahead, uh,
2: Senator. Let's talk about poverty a little bit. Like you're in the up in the Panhandle. W- what regions of your of your of your district are have the most poverty or have the most uh, you know econ- the the least economic opportunity? Do you know? Do you w- would it be at the the far west? Is that right?
3: I'm not sure. It, it, uh, there are pockets of poverty in every community, and, and how to, to most broadly characterize that, I don't know that I can. Right,
2: but don't you have a lot of, like, low-income agricultural counties in your district? Like, is that, am I right here, no, is that? N-
3: no question. You the average uh, annual salary is, is on the low end. Yeah, but I don't know exactly what those are factually, but yes, they exist.
2: You know I'm going to start I'm going to start digging on, and I'm not I'm not do, saying that to knock you as though you're a state senator and you're supposed to f- fix poverty in your district by any means. Uh, I'm just so interested in it. You know I'm, I'm I've become very interested in in uh you know I live in Hockley County and Hockley has its own issues with with resources, you know. Hmm. Um and so I'm I'm very interested in 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 the a lot of the rural counties. And what better place to start uh looking at rural counties than than a uh, uh rural counties that are in a district of a state senator I like a lot you know
3: well the, the, the answer to probably
2: in, in the broad sense
3: is education and and I serve on the committees of, of, of public education I chair the committee on the higher education and uh, the big push all over not just in, in my district but all over is to make education available, keep kids in school with expanded career and technical programs, what we used to call vocational programs. And I think we're, we're
2: making progress, but the challenge will never go away. Hmm. That's just kind of going to be there, isn't it? Always, yes.
1: Yeah, so uh, Kel Seliger, as we close out with you, one thing that I think people noted, and this is, um, whenever I say people, I mean, people on the inside. And I've had, in the past couple of weeks, I've had Scott Braddock, a quorum report on this program, and Ross Ramsey on this program, the Texas Tribune. And Ross asked the question in the column, what are we even doing anymore with these state conventions with these political parties because it's just a bunch of insiders who get together and they decide all these things and that was ross's point of view i think it's fair to to paraphrase him saying that but for some people you weren't at the republican convention and of course these things are divided up by senate districts a lot of times was that intentional on your part or did you voluntarily not attend the Republican convention? Is this some sort of reaction from a lot of the power players in that room trying to take you down in the primary?
0: No. In fact, my county uh,
1: uh, chairman asked me if I could go and asked me
3: if I wanted to be a delegate, and I, I plan to. Uh, my children both live in Houston, and I have a chance to spend about five vacation days with the family, and uh, those opportunities can be kind of rare. It was a family
2: decision and nothing else I had intended to go to the convention. That's 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 you know, I, I chose not to go to the convention and it was not a family decision. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of miffed and put off over the last one. You know, I I just I try to you know, like I like you, I like Jody Arrington as people, right? Like I, I don't know all your policies. I don't know if I agree with everything or with Jody Arrington or whoever uh whomever, but whoever. But um, the bottom line is, is is I try to avoid people in politics as much as possible unless I find out they're a nice person, right? Hmm. But, but I generally try to avoid people in politics, and it's kind of weird because I'm like a, a person in leadership of Breitbart, but I, I really do try to avoid politics, and, and so I wouldn't have blamed you if you avoided it, but, but, uh, but I do I mean, and, the family thing. I believe that. CA: The question
3: is, why are we having these conventions? Well, there will be an awful lot of office holders. Come January, that they, they will take certain stances and say this is the, the, the platform of the Republican Party, and we're going to follow it. and And I respect that. Well, there's some things that I agree with, and some things that I don't agree with necessarily in that that platform. And um, it's uh, people would like re- the people would like politicians to follow those things to the letter. And they get a bunch of people
1: to do it. I'm just not that kind of person. Ken, okay, well, last question I have for you is: You get off with us here. R.G. Ratcliffe was on the show yesterday. I asked him point blank. You know John Sharp. You've been following this a long time. What was the motivation behind John Sharp? I did not write that column as a tech insider. I wrote it as a prairie populist. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. that you know, I feel like there are there are funds in the state that aren't allocated equitably and fairly and uh, whenever I was told that John Sharp would be responding with his own column I asked asked RG Ratcliffe Texas Monthly senior political writer with the Texas Monthly why he thought John Sharp it wasn't through like a vice chancellor or anything else as I said earlier it was John Sharp himself. He said that he thought it was because John Sharp has thin skin. Uh, has that been your experience with John Sharp? I don't know
3: that that has been my experience. I think that the article you wrote uh, touched a chord with John Sharp. Okay. And, and I, I think in a lot of instances, and I really don't argue with this, he finds himself the best advocate of or defender of Texas A&M and so he felt like this required him him weighing in um and and you know ain't really doesn't have a stronger advocate or supporter than john sharp
1: No, look and one line i took out of the piece because you can only go at 800 words but it was i think next to revelry john sharp might be the most identifiable symbol associated with that university and I and I mean that with all do, like I try to stay away from the whole like Aggies are dumb and Aggie joke stuff. I I don't want to get caught up in all that because matter of fact, a lot of the most successful people I know are Aggies, and they are. And I I don't try to get caught up on that, which was surprising to me because he ended the column by saying something that we would hear like R.C. Slocum say in the late '80s, uh, former A&M head coach. Well, if we have a rivalry with Texas Tech, we were not aware of it. Uh I just I I thought I didn't think that Sharp did himself any favors in the way he responded, the short way of saying that.
3: You, yeah, if, if Jay, I think you might be a little bit of an irritant, probably not the first time that you've heard that. <laughs> uh. He is yeah. well, go ahead. <laughs> I, that's, that's all I, I think it was. And quite frankly, I don't think anybody does a better job of advocating positions of the Texas A&M system or Texas A&M than, than, Sharp, than John Sharp does. And so it sort of really didn't come as a big surprise to me.
1: Yeah, He is state senator out of Amarillo in Midland. He is Kel Solger. Senator, thank you for taking time. We know you've yeah, been busy you. today. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'm sorry I came in so late, and we'll do it again sometime, but thank you well, both for having it's me It's bonus time with Kel Seliger. Thank you. I've never been referred to as a bonus before. <laughs> you are now. Hey, uh, so that's going to close us up, this edition of Other Side of Texas. And uh, we want to thank Brandon Darby for Brandon Darby. Do I need to speak for you?
2: No, it's okay. okay. I, I appreciate you having me on, uh, as always, on Fridays. and think we're going to dinner tonight our family. yeah we are i think we're going to have a nice evening and eat too much food Good. and probably continue to talk about politics until uh week until later and then we're going to get home and call each other again and talk about <laughs> politics some more a
1: little bit more uh so with that i want to thank you for tuning in on this friday and uh, you can find all this audio that we've talked about here on OtherSideOfTexas.com. Hit that, Hit that uh, intro. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. We, we got a problem. I, yeah, I don't know if I can even fix it.
0: There you go. Yeah, Building
1: owners and it. managers. Hey, we'll talk Sometimes to you next time. Sometimes good Texas. engineering.